May I speak in the name of God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. I first met Father Maguire 25 years ago at his school for impoverished Nepali kids in the foothills of the Himalayas. The children in his care were known as coolie kids, a word used in India for people who carry baggage at train stations and markets. It was also a term of dismissal for these children who, like so many children around the world, were not counted as worthy of investment when it came to education. Father Maguire saw things differently. In them, he saw Christ. And in service to them, he built a school perched on a Himalayan hillside so that their lives might have space to grow, like the orchids and tea bushes the Darjeeling district hills are so famous for. The school, called the Gandhi Ashram, became something of a tourist destination by virtue of its orchestra. Visitors would go there to watch these previously illiterate children playing Mozart alongside their own traditional Nepali folk music, bringing together two cultural worlds and in doing so illuminating the promise any human life can realize when someone says to it, I see God in you. During my last visit to see Father Maguire, I found him and some members of his staff by his tiny two-room home, one of which was separating itself from the rest of the building, now rather precariously perched on the edge of the steep and eroding hillside. Time to get out of the building, Father, was the question we were all keen to ask. Yet his clear unconcern for the gradually lowering elevation of his living quarters made it clear that for him, as far as the mission of the church was concerned, he had left the building a long time ago. I remembered this final visit a few years later as the principal of my theological college in Cambridge, England, offered his parting advice to our soon-to-be ordained seminary seniors. Don't spend too much time in church. I've been thinking about all of this these past few days, spending some time away reading books on the nature and future of the church. In many ways, time to get out of the building sums much of it up. What I hear in the voices of published theologians and in the concerns and hopes of everyday people is that we are increasingly moving into a time when we need the church not to be inert in place, but on the move. That we are intended to be people of the way of Jesus, an apostolic church, which in its Greek roots means a church that is sent. The call being issued across denominations from liberals to evangelical Christians is that we need to become once more a missional church, joining the work the Spirit is already doing out in the world. At times like these, for some it is tempting to suggest that the only way available to wholeheartedly walk into the future is to jettison the past. 
there is, no doubt, a fair amount of that sentiment going around. Sometimes expressed with generosity, but most often with a deconstructionist kind of glee. In the church, the new monastic movement is a good case in point. This fresh expression of the ancient disciplines of religious orders sees people forming community and committing to a common mission, often in places of social and economic need. For the generous of heart, it is presented as a gift to the church, offering a gracious expansion of what already is, creating new paths for discipleship and spiritual maturity. Many others, though, this new iteration of the church is a time bomb, seeking to detonate the collapse of an old order, apparently now obsolete in an increasingly post-religious age. We see the same blow-it-all-up tendencies in many other walks of life. Politics, school governance, journalism, Yet those of you who have seen history make its full circle before will notice how similar all of this feels to the cultural revolutions of the 1960s. My grandparents would have remembered the same in the roaring 20s. As we well know, rarely is any point in human history truly novel. Yet for those in the world like us who seek to follow Jesus, this tension between the old and the birthing of the new is not only a place we have been to before, it is the very foundation of our view of reality. In our baptismal liturgy, we hear the theology of Paul state that in order for us to be raised with Christ, we must first die in the waters of baptism. There is no new creation without the old passing away. For we know what happens when new wine sits too long in old wineskins. Something breaks out. The essential point here, though, is not to conclude from all of this that our future as a church has to be about breaking down the old. For we won't be any closer to the path of faithfulness to Christ if we stop gathering here and instead Meet every week, flash mob style, in some shopping mall, parking lot, or in a farmer's field. The point of Jesus' admonition to the disciples that the mighty fortress of the temple would be thrown down is simply this. Don't dwell on the physicality of it all. If COVID has brought one message home to us over and over being a community of faith dispersed as we were for so long, it is that church is not the buildings, it is the people. So how should we think of this place where so much love has been shared? No doubt we need a place where people will be reminded of the depths of grace, where lives will be inspired by the generosity of God where doors are set open for all to come in, whether they bring with them their grief or their joy. We need this place, lest we forget the prayers that have saturated these walls, 
lest you forget the fuller person God calls you to be. Yet this is only our pilgrim house, our passing place. Like the Celtic monastics who intentionally built their dwellings at intersections, this sanctuary is close enough to the street that we are never too distant from the longings and life of the people of this city. We are called to find Christ within. Perhaps this is the secret genius of wooden pews. They're not truly comfortable enough to spend too much time in. As the poet U.A. Fanthorpe says of Jesus' life among his disciples in the poem, Getting It Across. I alone must write on flesh, tattooing God on their makeshift lives. Our task as the church is to bear witness to those tattoos on the hearts of God's people, starting with our own. It is to live a life where, as Martin Buber said, in meeting God in the other, we discover the thou in which the parallel lines of relations meet. Parallel lines, though, never meet unless one person chooses to cross over to the other. As we come on this Commitment Sunday to lift up to God our pledges of financial support to this church, I invite you to imagine how through the collective impact of that gift, you might further commit yourself to cross over to the other. I invite you to imagine how you might stand as Hannah stood. Picture Hannah if you will, as we hear her described in the Hebrew scriptures today, standing in the midst of the temple courts, while Eli sits close to the comfort of the place from which, as a priest, he derives prestige and authority. It is Hannah who first crosses the line, mouthing her prayers. She has the appearance of a woman exposed in her grief to a world of male power, a layperson opening her heart to the authority of the priesthood. Some would have considered her as not blessed, cursed even in her barrenness. Yet Hannah, in all of this vulnerability, is not a partial witness to grace. She is filled with the power of God, for she has learned to hope where there is none, she carries the strength to withstand the spite and ridicule of others. Hannah is a saint, a blazing image of the glory of God, alive to the hope that trust that God will do a new thing. Hers was a life that crossed the line sufficient enough to touch Eli. And in that encounter, a new expression of grace was birthed into the world. Might you stand as Hannah stood? Might you summon the courage and clarity to reveal the longings and hopes of your heart in the plain light of day? Might you also be a visible vessel of God's grace for a world blinkered by its own sense of power and progress? As we bless 
your pledges of material support for this church today, I invite you to consider how God calls you forward. When you hear the invitation over the coming weeks to step out of these pews and come to know our neighbors in pursuit of racial equity and healing, I welcome you to joyfully ponder what your commitment might be in response to that call. When you hear our desire to build a village of adults who will involve themselves in the lives of the teenagers of this church, I want you to imagine how your life might be offered to that cause. And on the road ahead, when we are asked by the neighbors around us where we stand in relation to them, I pray that we will feel the Spirit stir within our hearts, our love for justice and our longing for peace. God has given you walking feet. Together, let us follow the Spirit's way of love. For this church's journey with that Spirit is just in its birth pangs. The fullness of God's life for this world, with your help, is still to come. Amen.